Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. I just got to start here, all right? Uh, I took a friend to see the world's biggest fan. Yeah, he was blown away. <laughs> my wife made me share this one. Uh, my family is concerned about my addiction to dot-to-dot -dot puzzles. It's all right. I know where to draw the line. <laughs> all right. Um, if you've got a Bible, open with me to Philippians today. We're going to be walking through the book, majority of it, chapters 2 and 3. Uh, we're going to start, uh, I'll give you that one, but we're going to be in 2 and 3 today. So, all right. Philippians, uh, my favorite book in the Bible. Can I say one thing, though, about Wednesday night? Um, something's going to happen this week. I hear tomorrow they're going to start installing carpet in the wing down here. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what that means? It means when carpet is installed, we will bring to a conclusion five years of nonstop building. Five years, nonstop building. Guys, yes, thank you, God. Um, they started tearing down the old building five years ago, and we will complete after this building here, the, the original construction we thought, then the office wing, then the upstairs, because this morning in first service, there were 15 people gathered in a class up there, and right now somebody's broadcasting live from that room around the world, and if you get stuck listening online, you can now listen to the music without clawing your ears out because we have made advances. And then the old office wing finally got converted, converted into classrooms, and all of this has happened in the last five years nonstop, and we will draw a conclusion to the end of it. And all of that going on, this building, that, that, and that, all of that, our original loan has not only sufficed, but you ready for this? God has worked a miracle. Over $250,000 given from one source this year Amen. that we put every penny towards principal because your tithes and offerings are enough to cover the day-to-day -day operations of this church and all of the things we give away, we're able to take the extra that's been given to us and put it on the principal alone. Before this year is up, we will probably be under $1 million in loan on this building. Five building projects. Guys. And you're sitting there and you're like, I, I just don't get it. Let me tell you, I hang out with pastors a lot. When a church experiences what we've experienced in the last five years, they write articles about you because a miracle has happened. A miracle, my friends. You, every week, you walk in and sit down in a miracle, and you just sort of overlook it. But God, God's at work. God's done a miracle. All right? I got, to, I got a passage to share with you today. Narcissist was, uh, first of all, his guy's name was Narcissus. In Greek mythology, what happened was he went, he was such a good-looking guy, he went to the lake one day, and he knelt down to get a drink of water from the lake, and he saw his reflection in the water, and he immediately fell in love with his own beauty because he was so good-looking, he could only stare at himself. And because he didn't want to disturb the water and disturb his image and the reflection of the water, he wouldn't disturb the water to get a drink, he wouldn't eat, and he eventually died staring at himself because he was only consumed with himself. Hmm. And that's where we get our term narcissist. Somebody that actually consumed and concerned only with himself, it seems. So this passage today, I'm going to share with you from Scripture. Um, God told me to do it. I was walking this direction, and it was right there. I was walking in prayer, and I was right there just walking back and forth praying. And right here he told me to use this verse. And I know God told me. I don't, you don't, guys don't hear that very often from me. You hear, you know, like I feel the Holy Spirit urge me or something like that. You don't hear God said very often. So if I say God said, you've got to know God said. Because 
There ain't no way under God's green earth I am using this verse for my passage today. There ain't no way I'm using it on my own, all right? I wouldn't even think about it. Would not be what I think about using. Right there, though, he told me to use this verse. So if you get offended by this verse, it's God, not me, because I'm only doing what I was told to do, all right? Because I did not pick this verse. I would not use it. Does everybody understand this? It's a little confrontational, all right? And I, am, I don't mind being confrontational, but I am not going to be this confrontational to start a message. <laughs> all right, so y'all ready? You want to see the verse? All right, stand to your feet with me in honor of God's word. Philippians 3.15. I'm using the NET version here because it says it uh, closer to the Greek. I really like it. All right, you ready? Therefore, let those of us who are perfect. Now, that word perfect is teleos in the Greek. You remember in, in Matthew where Jesus says, be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Anybody remember that? This is the same word right here. This is the same word. It means ending or completion. Perfect maturity is a better word for it in this instance. So if you think you're a mature person, Teenager, you think you're mature? You think, you think you know more than everybody else and you're all mature? This passage is for you. Adult, you've been around for a bit. You've learned a couple of things and you're really mature. This verse is for you. You ready? Y'all haven't read ahead, hopefully. All right, you ready? If you're perfect or mature, you need to embrace this point of view. I'm going to give you a point of view today. I'm going to give it in a couple of words and you're going to get it. We're going to repeat it. But you need to embrace this point of view. And if in any way you think otherwise, God's going to show you you're wrong. So what I'm going to tell you today is God's truth. And if you think anything different than what I say today, you're wrong. Maybe not everything, but I'm the core message of what I'm going to tell you. If you think anything different than the core message of what I'm saying today, God's going to reveal to you you're wrong. Now, I, I would not be that aggressive this, this early in a message normally. To tell you, you either agree or you're wrong. But right there, God told me to tell you, you're either going to agree with this message today or you're wrong. Y'all ready? Well, what's he going to say? Well, there's this message of the book of Philippians. My favorite book in the Bible. I've read it so many times. I even memorized almost all of it. Committed it to memory. Anybody in the room struggle with depression? Anxiety? Anybody in the room struggle with depression and anxiety ever? It's all right. We're all broken here. Everybody's broken. Those, there are some of you, you're like, I would raise my hand, but I'm too anxious. <laughs> all right. So can we admit we're all broken and we also have these struggles? The book of Philippians 16 times uses one word, joy. 16 times the most joy is used in any writing in the New Testament, and it's in this little four-chapter book, Joy, over and over and over and over and over again. And what is Paul trying to tell you? There's a way to think so you can be joyous, and if you think any other way, you're wrong. Okay? So I'm going to crack open my favorite book, and I'm going to tell you how you can live joyous and free of depression. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? I'm going to tell you in one sentence. You ready? It ain't about me. It ain't about me. Now, I know I ain't supposed to say ain't eight times a day because saying eight, eight times a day ain't nice. That's what I was told as a kid. So don't say eight. But sometimes I got to use language we can all understand. Y'all ready? It ain't about me. Now, you need to say this. Say it, say it with me out loud. It ain't about me. Good, you guys got it. So, Father, I pray today you'd open up the Word and you would tell us what we think about that's wrong so that we can live what's right in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before you're seated, before you're seated, I want you to turn to somebody and tell them, it ain't about me. If you're online, it ain't about me. Go ahead, say it to me. Okay. All right, it ain't about me. Now, we have an entire culture that's built around narcissism. We do. We're all narcissistic. Very simply, if we were to take selfies off social media, it would go away. Or in the mirror. Right? Selfies are what keep social media alive, especially those like Snapchat and Insta, right? 
So we know, we know that we are a selfish group of people because we are narcissistic. Our preoccupation with ourselves, our preoccupation with ourselves has led us to be unhealthy. So Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, this is the core issue he's dealing with. And the core issue is, well, that they thought they were first. So let, let's go to uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 12. In Acts 16, 12, it says, from there we traveled to Philippi. Remember we talked about this last week? Roman colleague in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. Now the word there, leading, is protos in the Greek, and what it means is first. The first city. The first city. So they were the big deal. They, now, right, Philippi was named after the, the uh, king uh, that, that was named Philip, and it was named after him. Uh, and the reason it was named after him is because he did some battle and conquered and won. And Rome granted a city be named after him, and they actually did something else. They gave everybody in Philippi Roman citizenship, which was a big deal for a small country town in the middle of nowhere. You don't believe me it's in the middle of nowhere? We got a little picture to show you where Philippi actually is. So on the left you see there is the boot hill of, um, of um, Rome, or of Italy, and Rome is up that way. Now over here, this is the Grecian Peninsula there, and up to the right is the Black Sea, and that narrow strip of land is where Istanbul is, and, and that was, became the center of the world later on. Now somewhere in the mountain, there's a big mountain along the coast, there's this little town that sits right along the edge of the Aegean Sea, and, and its name is Philippi. And it became the first in, in this entire area, so they were, the, they were the biggest deal in West Virginia. Country area, or like saying they're, they're the awesomest town in Wyoming. They're the Cheyenne of Wyoming. They were the first and they were happy. Now, they were a bit of a big deal, though, because they were a Roman city and anybody that was a member, a city of that town, had Roman citizenship, which gave you certain rights. You didn't get anywhere else in the area, so there was a certain pride about the town. As a matter of fact, the next picture will show you, uh, that. by the way, that red line was the Ignatian Way, which is the famous road that they built, the Rome built to move armies back and forth across this, this peninsula and to move them around the Mediterranean Sea. So you can see the little thin lines, the Ignatian Ray. It ran right through Philippi. As a matter of fact, they started the road in Philippi. That's where the road began being built. So they were first then. And, and this is another thing they had. This next picture, they had a big uh, coliseum there, a big theater where everybody met. Now, this is a country town, and that's a pretty big theater for a country town, right? That's a pretty big thing, and you can see they even have standing room only up there and uh, up at the top. That, that's for the people like me that were too cheap to buy tickets. So you stand at the gate. Now, the reason I tell you this is that this same, this town, they thought they were, they thought they were something. They thought they were a big deal because they were first in their entire area. And what happened in this church is there were some people that had the me first mentality, and a couple of them were named Euodia and Syntyche. Now, this is what Paul did when he planted churches, and, and you'll find out. Well, I tell you what, let's just read the verse. I plead with Yodia and Syntyche, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, we're going to notice this throughout the passage today. We're going to talk about mindsets. And he's pleading with them to have Christ's mind. Now, who was Yodia and Syntyche? We'll find out a little later that they were people. Well, it says, uh, yes, and I ask you, true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. These were ladies that got saved when Paul showed up at Philippi the first time. And they got saved and Paul developed them into leaders. And he put them in positions of leadership in the church. Now, we know from antiquity and reading church writings that women were often house church pastors, so they were pastors of small organizations because they didn't have buildings this big to meet in. So what they did was they would meet in house to house to house, and these women, uh, de deacons, or, or usually they were deacons or, or called pastors or other names like that, and those names of these ladies, they were leaders in the church that led 
led house churches that gathered around them. So Yodia was one of these uh, persons that Paul left in charge of a group of people, and he called them uh, women who contended at his side along the cause of the gospel. And we can read this all throughout the New Testament. I don't have time to break it down today, but Yodia was probably a pastor of one church, and Syntyche was a pastor of another church. And over them, there was this Clement that was an elder over them. And this elder Clement uh, was the one that he says, my true companion, make these women, these pastors, get along with one another. <laughs> are are y'all following me here? All right, so Yodia was pastor of a group of people in her house because they, they would meet in different locations around the city. They couldn't get in a car and drive, so the church was everywhere, but yet they were one church under one leader, but yet there were pastors in various locations. And these ladies... Uh, we find this out from uh, spe specifically the, the letter of Pliny the Younger and a few others that these ladies were in the position of pastors over churches in their house under the overseer. So when Paul writes the letter, he says, I, I write to you, the, the, the bishops or the overseers and the deacons, which would do the pastoral job, this letter is to you guys. And, and he's writing them on purpose because what he's trying to do is he's trying to tell them there's a way to live joyously, and right now you guys aren't doing right. All right, so the way to, 16 times in the book, Paul used the word joy. We've already established that. Well, you don't, let's go back. How did these ladies meet Paul? They probably met him through the prison. You remember last week we talked about how Paul was in prison, got the living daylights beat out of him, and they're in prison, they're singing praises to God. So the church was started in, because of Paul's prison ministry. And Paul writes this letter, you can read in chapter 1, while he is in bonds while he's in chains in the Roman Praetorium, which is a Roman prison. So Paul is in prison writing a letter to a church he founded because of a prison experience, and he's talking about joy. So apparently the joy that I'm talking about and the lifestyle I'm talking about of living an abundant lifestyle in the presence and joy of God has nothing to do with your physical condition on earth. And Paul is, says, he actually says in another place in Philippians, I've learned the secret of being content no matter what circumstance I'm in. So what is it? What is this driving mentality that enables us to live in joy regardless and helps us to get in the same mind with people we even disagree with? So let, let me just say one more thing. Joy is found in submitting to Christ's way of thinking. Joy is found in submitting to Christ's way of thinking. <laughs> uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 15 says, and I read it for you again, therefore that let those of us who are perfect embrace this point of view. And if you think otherwise, God's going to reveal to you the error of your ways. I'm, I'm talking to you about a life that's lived higher than the life you're living. There's a different way of thinking, and I want you to embrace it. And that way of thinking is, it ain't about me. It ain't about me. Four simple words. All right, so I'm gonna, Paul, you would think, if Paul's going to do all of this and tell us the secret to life of joy isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less the secret to joy isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, then I wonder if he's going to give us any examples. Well, actually, he does. He, springs, he strings four examples, and we're going to look at those four examples. So let's start with the first one. The first one is the example of Jesus. Wow, why not start there? The example of Jesus. I wonder what he's going to say about Jesus. Our perfect example, he's going to say this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, remember later on he's going to call out Yodi and Syntyche and tell them they need to get Christ's mind. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind set as Christ Jesus. I know yours says mindset, but in the Greek and in the old King James, it says, <laughs> have the mind of Christ. You know, you can have the mind of Christ. Did you know you can have the mind of Christ? And let me say something about pastoring this church, all right, for just a second. I really don't care what you think about what we ought to do as a church. I don't care. You can have all the opinions you want to. I, I just don't give a rip what you think about it. 
I don't. You know one other thing? I don't give a rip what I think about it. Because it ain't about me. And it ain't about you. So you know, do you know the way to have unity in your, in your life and in your world? How do you have unity? Well, if you have the same mind of Christ, if we determine the mind of Christ, we will be unified, correct? As a church. I don't care what you think about this church. I don't care what I think about this church. I care what he thinks about this church. And I think we ought to find out what his mind is and enact his mind. That's the reason we don't vote in deacons meetings, because we want to know what the mind of Christ is, not my mind, not your mind, his mind. By the way, this works in families too. You know, my wife did this to me early. We were dating. We were having a couple of issues. Believe it or not, dating me would bring issues to your life. <laughs> so we're dating and she drew this little piece of paper and she put God in the middle and she put her here and me here. And she said, as long as we're pursuing to get close to one another this way, we will never ever get close to one another. She said the way we need to get close to one another is to come to Christ in the center. And if we're moving towards Christ, both of us, we will get closer to each other. And, and you know what? She made a very good point to me, and I'm going to say this for the rest of my life. If you've got an issue in your life, your goal is not to pursue the other person or fix it. Your goal is to pursue Christ who will help that problem get fixed. You need the mind of Christ. You need the mind of Christ. That, that's how you fix a marriage. That's how you fix a job. Even if one of you saved, well, as long as you're pursuing Christ, you're going to get closer to God's perfect will, right? That's how you pursue and fix any problem. So he says, in your relationships with one another, you should have the mind of Christ Jesus. And then he, there's this, uh, just a hint. I'll come back. I'll break this down in a second. But what Paul is going to do next is quote a hymn. He's going to quote a hymn. We'll read it, and then I'll come break that down, all right? Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I hate that translation. The, the, the Greek says literally to be grasped. It's not something that Jesus grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, and that's kenosis. You want to read some big books about it, the kenosis theory of what it means that Jesus emptied himself as a divinity. There's a lot of theology here. This is such a great hymn. I know Paul didn't write it because it's better than Paul. Paul didn't write this hymn. Okay, I'll come back. All right. Who being in, let me see, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Notice this phrase, we'll come back to it, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Christ, or Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this is an early Christian hymn. How do I know this? Because there are these things that make up hymns called rhythm, rhyme, and meter. And this hymn has rhythm, rhyme, and meter. There are a couple of times in Paul's writing, he quotes catechisms or, or things with rhythm and rhyme or rhythm and meter, and he does that. But in this one, it's different. This is a special, this is the longest quotation Paul uses in his entire writing. And he's quoting a hymn that predates him. And I believe what he's doing here is he is writing a hymn back to the church that he taught the church when he visited them in what, 48? AD or 50 AD, something like that. So Paul takes to a church in, oh, let me see, it's 49 AD. He takes to the church in 49 AD a hymn that he had learned, probably that was written at the church at Antioch. And why does this matter? Is because this hymn was written in the 40s and Paul learned it and carried it to churches. Why does that matter? Is because the people who wrote this hymn were the people that saw Jesus alive. <laughs> and the people who sung this hymn first were the people who saw Jesus alive. And what were they doing with this resurrection they couldn't understand? Well, can you put up that, that next one uh, slide? 
See, there's a strophe nature to it. Now, strophes are A, B, C, those, those um, strophes. So a strophe does what happens in A. It gives us the statement. B explains the statement. C explains the statement more. Then we go back to an A where it makes another statement. B, it explains the statement. C, it explains. So the first one, who being in very nature God. So what did these people who saw Jesus alive think about him? That he was God. That his very nature and his creation, his being, not his creation, he was the creator. He is God. But this God did not consider equality with God, even though, so he was equal with God because he was in heaven with God, but it wasn't something for him to grasp or to hold on to. So what did he do? Instead of holding on to his godness, he made himself nothing. He let go of his godness. He let go of it and made himself nothing. There's that kenosis theory. What in the world does that mean? That he Did he let go of all of his deity? Did he just let go of his workings of his deity? What did God do to become a man? How much did he give up? Come on, this is deep stuff. This is really deep stuff. This is deep stuff that Paul didn't write because Paul is not a rhymer. Paul is a big word sentence stringer, not a rhymer. And if you read rhymes in Paul, you know you know for a certainty you're reading somebody else's work. So number two, he made himself nothing. And what did making himself nothing look like? Well, he became a servant and he was human. Well, then he was found in appearance as a man. So what does that look like? Well, it means he humbled himself and he became obedient to death. And at this point, the song is supposed to round and keep going and say, therefore, God has exalted him. But there's one phrase in this that doesn't match the rest of the song because, you see, the Philippians knew the song and they had an expectation for the song. So it would be like me singing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Even death on the cross, that saved a death. All right, you got it? It was an interruption. and it's, it's in there. It doesn't belong in the rhyme, rhythm, meter, and the flow. It is... Paul wants you to know what it looks like when somebody doesn't think about themselves, when it ain't about me, even death on the cross. And, and let's finish this up. Because, because he put God's will first, because he, God himself, took all of that off to become a servant and to die for us. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. Now, catch this right here, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So this was stolen, by the way. That, those lines right there, those are not Paul's writings. They're not the writings of somebody else. These are actually writings that come out of, are y'all ready for this? When a king in ancient world would conquer an area, he would make them sign a treaty that they would be his vassals and that they were submitted to him. And they would say that at the name of king whoever, every knee would bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every one of these tongues would confess that King so-and-so is my master and my Lord. And what, what they did with this hymn is they took those words that the world used to talk about conquering the things of the world, and they said, no, 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 there is one that came down, died on the cross, and God exalted him, and everything and every kingdom on earth and everything in heaven will bow its knee and declare that Jesus is Lord because it just wasn't a victory on the earth. It's a victory forever for all time. Come on. And why? Notice where we go back to. To the glory of God the Father, back where we started. This is beautiful, guys. Come on, come on. This is written by somebody that knew what they were doing. This isn't Paul preaching. This is a musician, a hymn writer, a guy like Pastor Garrett with his curly hair and his guitar that knows what he's doing. Now, the reason I say that is because Paul quotes this. Now, remember, Paul quotes this to a people. He learned it, he brought it to them, and he's reading it back to them because what's he saying is even Jesus knew it wasn't about him. It starts with God, it ends with God, and in the middle, what does he do? He gives up everything that he thinks, that he feels, that he wants, that he desires because it ain't about me. It's about God's glory being manifested in this world and in us. Second of all is Timothy. Timothy. So Philippians 2.19. So 
along his journeys, what happened, um, Paul stopped at this little town one day, and he was preaching the gospel there, and he met a half-Jewish, half-Gentile boy. And he took, he, he said, the boy was probably about 14, 15 maybe, about 14 or 15, and uh, he, he says to his mom, hey, you know what, your boy's special. Can I take him along? Can I take him under my wing and teach him how to do ministry? And his mom says, oh yeah, Paul, you're the one that get beats up, gets beaten up at every town and you get in prison at every town. Yeah, I want my son to hang out with you and learn your way of doing life. <laughs> Can I say something for a second? I led a youth ministry years ago, and I said I was going to take my kids to inner city Detroit to do ministry, and the parents threw a fit because they didn't want their kids hanging out where it might be dangerous. And I want you to know that the kids whose parents were so afraid are the same kids that fell away from Christ and didn't want to follow them later on. What's more valuable for you, your kids to be safe for him to walk in the power and the love of Jesus Christ, because you still know Timothy's name to this day, but you have no idea all those parents that wouldn't let Paul take him. What are you so afraid of? You think all there is in this life is your personal comfort? It ain't about me. It ain't about me. So Timothy... He picked this Timothy up. He took him with him. We know that Timothy was young because later on, about 10 years later, he left Timothy as the overseer of the churches in Ephesus. And he left him in charge of the churches. And he says, hey, listen, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. So he was still young 10 years later when he writes a letter 15 years later. And he was still young. So we know he was young when Paul picked him up. So this is what he said. He said, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by hearing news about you. For there is no one like him who will readily demonstrate his deep concern for you. Others are busy with their own concerns, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that his qualifications, that like a son working with his father, he served me in the advancing of the gospel. So what do we know about Timothy from this passage? Tell you what we know couple of things. Guys, you youngsters, you, you younger people, if you consider yourself young, like me, <laughs> if you consider yourself young, I want you to get four takeaways from Timothy's example here. Number one, Timothy had a positive attitude. You know how I know that? Because Paul knew he would get encouraged by Timothy. If you're always negative and always looking for negative things, who wants to hire somebody that's always negative? Who wants to marry somebody that's always negative? Who wants to be friends with somebody that's always negative? Huh? I mean, isn't it a pain? Somebody's always, now, you know, Eeyore. <laughs> you got to be poo to put up with Eeyore, and I'm not poo. <laughs> you got it? Anyway. All right. He has a positive attitude. Second thing is, he cares about others first. That's what we find in this passage. He really cares about other people more than himself. <laughs> would you rather hire somebody who wants to take care of the good of the people at the company or somebody that's only out to get what they can and abuse others along the way? Let me ask you a better question. Do you want to marry somebody that cares for your needs or only cares about their own and is a sucking sound taking from you? You want to be successful? Timothy, positive attitude, cared about others first. He was faithful and hardworking. We know that. He was faithful and hardworking. Those are the words used about him. Faithful and hardworking. Guys, faithful means you show up. And by the way, if you show up on time, you're five minutes late. Can I say this to this culture? Can you guys listen to me? If you show up on time, you're five minutes late. You know why people get fired from jobs? Because they don't show up, and if they do show up, they're late. Listen, have some character. Show up. Show up on time, five to ten minutes early, and do your job. Be hardworking, be faithful, be fruitful. Those are the kind of people you want, right? You know what else? He was fully devoted to Christ. You want, you want to know how to get respect? Listen to me, young man, young lady. You want to know how to get respect from your elders? Respect from your parents? You know how to get respect? from your teachers, your bosses. Have a positive attitude. 
care about somebody other than yourself, because it ain't about me. Be faithful and hardworking. And if you're fully devoted to Christ, you're going to think Christ's thoughts about problems, not this world's thought about problems, which means you're going to be a problem solver, not a problem maker. Now, we have a team every, we have a team here that mows the grass. You guys, if you've been around, you've heard me say this over and over again. Why would anybody trust their internal soul to a church that they can't cut their own grass? Right? Why? I mean, if I can't cut my grass, you think I'm going to help you with your soul? So we have a team of volunteers here. And I look around, there are some people in this room that are a team of volunteers. And you guys are amazing. And, and thank you for going the extra mile. You guys are Yes, you're the bomb.com. I'm telling you. Yes. So they show up and they mow the grass every month. And, and I appreciate it and I respect it. And I just want you to know, I pulled in the driveway the other day, though, because all of them, you know, they really focus on getting their lines straight and all that kind of stuff, because I respect that. I, I'm always like, yeah, you guys are awesome. But I showed up the other day, and, and uh, I noticed that not just the normal mowing and weed eating was done, but some of the things that bug me, I look around, and they're done everywhere. And I'm like, they're done everywhere. Not just one or two places. Everything is done. And I, I'm looking closer, and the lines are straight. And I, I know who did it, but come on. I know it's one of those 90-degree weeks where somebody not only, they not only worked the regular two to three hours to mow the grass, but they put in probably another two to three hours in the 90-degree heat weed-eating to make it look extra special for you. And I know who did it, because they, uh, they also lead nursing home ministry, and uh, they're always there at nursing home ministry, going the extra mile, making this, the residents of the nursing home feel loved and welcome. And if you want to help them, I put you in touch with them. Anyway, so I called Pastor Matt. He's in charge of it. I said, Pastor Matt, who mowed this week? And he said, Mark Berghaus. And I said, I knew it knew it. Because there are some people like Timothy, you always know they're going to go the extra mile. The kingdom of God is built not on me, but on the Mark Burkhouses of this world. Number three, Epaphroditus. Paul needed support while he was in prison. Prisons aren't like now like they were back then. I, I don't know why Epaphroditus. How many of you know anybody named Epaphroditus? I don't know why that name wasn't passed along. We got our James and our Peters and our, yeah, but nobody names anybody Epaphroditus. Should have named my child that, right? Guy or girl, nobody care, right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, uh, prisons aren't like now like they were back then. They're different because now, you know, you get three square meals a day, and it's not, it's not cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination. But back then, if nobody brought you food, you died because you starved to death because there was no food. There was no feeding system. If you didn't have clothes, your clothes, you died because your clothes would get worn out or stolen or things like that. And uh, Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church to help Paul have something to eat while he was in prison. And to take care of his needs, you know, if he needed something to take care of him. All right? So we read about him in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. But now I have considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you. So he's saying, I'm sending Epaphroditus back. Notice the words he used about him. He is my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to me in need. Indeed, he greatly missed all of you and was distressed because he heard that you heard that he had been ill. In fact, he became so ill, he nearly died. But God showed mercy to me and to him, and not to him only, but also to me, so that I would not have grief on top of grief. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you can rejoice and I can be free of anxiety because Paul's anxiety came when people were hurting and he wanted them to be reunited and loved. So welcome in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him since because of the work of Christ he almost died. He risked his life so that he could make up for your inability to serve me. How does Paul speak about Epaphroditus? Number one, Paul calls him an equal. You're kidding me, right? The guy who wrote half of the New Testament is calling some guy who's mentioned once in Scripture his equal. But he does. Because God has no hierarchy of importance. God has a plan, and his plan has worked through the people who do his plan. 
So Paul says that this guy has a heart that needs to be recognized, and he says, I demand that you honor and respect him because he gave even to his own personal detriment. Now, I know people like this. My mom and dad, uh, part of the reason, I, I wasn't raised in a pastor's household, so I have a different view of pastors than probably some of you do. Um, my mom and dad, they were, my dad worked in a factory 40 hours a week, and we worked cutting grass and cutting trees and anything else we could do to make a buck. And my mom worked 40 hours a week at a, at a, um, a bank, and then we would be in church on Sunday morning where mom would teach children's church. And then we'd be at church on Sunday night. And then we'd be at church on Wednesday night where dad led the Royal Ranger group. And then they were crazy. We'd be at church as well every Saturday night because mom and dad led our youth group. In the years that I knew mom and dad, they always led the youth group. So they served not one place, but a couple of places. And dad was a deacon. And yeah, and uh, we were in a church of about 100 people and they had a youth group of about 50 kids. We were a church of 200 people and they had a youth group of 100 kids. And, and out of their ministry, there are literally dozens and dozens of people in full-time ministry and serving and giving because my mom and dad, my mom and dad went the extra mile. And you know what? Let me talk about money. I, I shouldn't talk about money, but you know what? I watched every week my dad would ask my mom, where's the tide check? Because they, they, considered it a privilege and an honor to give to God of God's blessing to them. As a matter of fact, my dad gave away his retirement to a church to build their building. And I'm like, dad, what are you doing? He said, you know what, son, God will take care of me. And so I don't, I don't view this preacher laity thing. I, I think the real honorable people in the world are the people like you that work really hard to make the kingdom of God grow and do all the hard work behind the scenes. And if you're not one of those people, my question would be, why not? It ain't about you. <laughs> and if in any way you think different than me, God himself will reveal that to you. <laughs> God will show you the error of your ways, right? It's just a verse. It's just, yeah. <laughs> Paul, can, the last example is Paul himself. Now, Paul's name was not originally Paul. Originally, it was Saul. Saul is named after the most famous Benjamite there ever was. Benjamin was a tribe of Israel, and they, the first king of Israel was a Benjaminite named Saul. So Saul was named to be important. So Saul thought he was important from birth. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, If someone thinks they have reasons to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church. Man, look at my list as righteousness based on the law. And there's that word, perfect, faultless, teleos, complete. I am it. That was what he said. And then he said this, but whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What? It ain't about me. I consider it a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and to consider them. What's that word? Garbage that I may gain Christ. So all of his pedigree and all about me. It ain't about me. He considers it garbage. Now, this word garbage is a funny word. In the Greek, it's the word skubala. Skubala. Uh, skubala. Well, I want to show you because the Philippians would have understood skubala because something they had in their world. And I've got a picture of it. Do y'all know what this is? It is a public latrine. Now, something you need to know about this corner of the world, it's about 100 degrees there and dry. And they don't have any flushing system. And I counted, there's like 11 visible toilets there. And then on this wall, there's a, there's a latrine that you, I mean, it sort of resembles the old urinals back at the Brown Stadium years ago. It just run down on the floor and this, they would all sit in a pile underneath. Can you imagine the smell of this when they were having a public event? Because there's just heat and cook and all that. You know what the word scubala is? Scubala is that. We have an S word for it, but I'm not allowed to say it. 
Paul, by the way, uses the vulgar word here. He said, whatever was to my gain, whatever I think I am, it ain't about me. I consider all that I am that. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 says, and I want to know Christ. The very next sentence, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Notice this, the participation in his suffering. Some of you think God abandoned you when you suffer, but God may be really close to you when you're suffering because in your suffering is where you become a person of character like Christ. Becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained all this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, took hold, that, that, that's a weak word. Uh, um, the King James used the word apprehended, which is better for us. Because um, anybody ever watch an episode of Bad Boy, Bad Boy? Ap- apprehended, anyway. Uh, no, what... What, uh, what I think of is we were at Half Mile Pier up at Lorraine. Y'all remember that? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it's a drop-off like that far in the water, and I'm walking along, and I got my, uh, my eight-year-old, my, my six-year-old, and my two-year-old walking down the pier. And, of course, the little two-year-old's walking over close to the edge of the pier. And I don't walk over there and say, Sweetheart, could you please come back from the edge of danger? What did I do? I reached over there. I grabbed her and yanked her away from the edge. I apprehended her. That's what this says right here. But I'm trying to reach out and grab all God has just the way he reached out and grabbed a hold of me. I want to know Christ. And I'm going to grab a knowledge of Christ regardless of what it cost me, even death on a cross. Even laying down my rights and my pride and my arrogance, I will lay everything down that I may grab a hold of Christ. You notice this attitude I've given you. I've given you four examples of guys who said, everything in this world doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is following God's example because it ain't, come on, say it with me, it ain't about me. So the band's going to come. I want to read a final passage. This is the passage that Paul now will back up to chapter 2. This is the passage he starts with. And it goes this way. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete that you be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Consider others better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So what Paul is saying, this is the mind, the very next words are, this is the mind of Christ. These are the examples. This verse goes at the heart of our narcissism. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in lowliness of minor, consider others above yourselves. Humility, consider somebody else better than you. Put others' needs above your own, because that's what Christ did. That's what Timothy did. That's what Epaphroditus did. That's what Paul's doing. If you want to live a life of joy, I'm telling you how to do it. I'm telling you what will rob your joy is not submitting to Christ's way of thinking. So that verse right there, we were sitting at my dinner table memorizing that passage, me and my kids, uh, because when we had them all around the dinner table, I wanted them to have good scriptures memorized. So we would, before we would say the prayer, we would quote the verse, say the prayer, and then we would eat. So we're sitting there quoting that verse for weeks on end until they finally all get it. And this is back when Heather was about three, two, three, something like that. She's still in a high chair. So she's sitting there in the high chair. And it was later on in a meal, a couple of weeks after we memorized this scripture. And I guess her sitting at dinner sort of quickened her mind. And she's sitting there just eating, thinking, well, I had another child at the table that wasn't being very holy in their thoughts. As a matter of fact, they were being quite divisive and painful. That's never happened in any of your households, right? 
And it was all about, why don't I, why don't I, why don't I, why don't I, I, I should, everybody else should, I should, I should, I, 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 I. And in the middle of this, remember, a little two-year-old cannot grasp that kind of conversation. And the whole table is tense and anger and all this stuff. And, and little Heather sitting over there in her high chair, all of a sudden out of nowhere just says, selfish ambition. Ice water thrown on the whole table. The sin called out. Sin repented up. Attitude change. Joy came back to the table and we still laugh about it to this day. Because it ain't about me. Say it with me. It ain't about me. You know, God's got a plan for your life that's bigger than your plan. I'd like you to bow your heads with me real quick. If you're in this room right now, maybe you're watching online and you've been doing it your way. You've been that narcissist. You've been doing it your way. It's all about you. Today, Jesus Christ is calling you to say, it ain't about me, Jesus. I will submit to you. And today is your day to get saved. Today is your day to give your heart to Christ, to cross from death to life. Today is your day. If that's you. Lift your hand. I want to pray with you right now. That's you. Lift your hand. I want to pray with you. Yes. There are others? Come on, it's your day. Yes. Nobody prays alone at Harvest Ridge. Everybody together. I saw that hand, young man. Thank you. I know you didn't want anybody else to see it, but you know what? God and you saw it. It caused me to glance at you in a split second. And I want you to know, young man, I want you, I want you to hear me right now, young man. Jesus loves you. He wants you to live his blessed life. He loves you. Father God, I pray every person lifted their hand today would be the day of salvation. Right now in their heart, by that action, would you give them new life in you, we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's how we're going to end today. Our prayer teams are going to come forward. So prayer teams, come on, move now. Prayer teams are coming forward. If you want somebody to pray with you about anything, not just what I talked about today, maybe you've got any problem, any issue in your life, you want somebody to pray with you. We get somebody up here to pray with you. We're going to sing a song. As they sing that song quietly, people are going to be here to pray with you. And, uh, and then I'll come back. I'll say a dismissal prayer in a couple of minutes. Would you stand with me so that if somebody wants to move, they can move freely? Would you stand listening to the song together and we'll pray a prayer to end?